All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I'm your host, Todd Schnick. <laughs> this is going to be a fun conversation. Uh, this is a, a gentleman I've known for, gosh, I want to say probably two, three, four years now. We've been a part of a mastermind group together. But this is the first time I've had him on the show, and I'm excited about it. He is a free spirit. He is someone who's very passionate about what he believes in and uh, has an awful lot. It's one of those books that when he wrote it, I thought, oh, did the world need another book like this? And I read the thing, and, and it smacked me upside the head, as 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 he this gentleman typically does uh, with the way he approaches the world. So it was a, it was a great wake-up call, made me rethink a lot of things. Things I think I thought I knew, but uh, it was always good to kind of get a kick in the ass there. So I appreciate uh, him taking the time to uh, not only write this book, but be a part of the show. Say hello to my friend. His name is Jim Keenan. He is the president and founder of A Sales Guy, Inc., and the author of a new book, which we're here to talk about, called Not Taught, What It Takes to Be Successful in the 21st Century That Nobody's Teaching You. Keenan, welcome to the show. Holla! What's up, my man, Todd? I'm excited, excited, excited. Thank you, brother. Yeah, always good to spend some time with you, my friend. Uh, appreciate uh, your friendship and appreciate you putting this book out. Uh, what an exciting book. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it and talking about all the important messaging from it. But before we do that, Keenan, a quick, quick, quick chance for my audience to get to know you a little bit, just to share a couple of details about you and your background. Yeah, um, I'm never good at this for some reason. I don't know why, but I, I founded a sales guy about five years ago. Sales guy consulting uh, was our division. Then we added a recruiting division about two years ago. So we help sales organizations that are failing or want to grow or scale. And we also help people find badass sales talent. So I've uh, been doing that for five years, been in sales my entire life as in, as a personal objective as well as a career and just you know uh, i see i stink at this i stink at this i mean like you put for me one of these days i suck at this <laughs> well next time i'll just script it out for you just you know about your own life story so no i think the, <laughs> i think the audience got a sense of, of what keenan's all about just from uh, from uh, what you said there so all right, so, so Keenan, this new book, again, it's called Not Taught, What It Takes to Be Successful in the 21st Century That Nobody's Teaching You. So how would you describe this book? Is it a personal development? Is it a leadership development? Is it uh, uh, a kick-ass primer for the 21st century? How would you describe this thing? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was forced to describe it for Amazon, but I think, I think I was okay with it. I really think it's a personal development, self-help slash success motivation book. Kind of wrap all that in there. Because the end of the day is the second part of the title says, what it takes to be successful in the 21st century that nobody's teaching you. My objective was to basically uncover or open up 
this new world of opportunity and and basically tell people to stop doing what they've always done because the world has changed right underneath their feet. And we all kind of know it, but no one's told us what the new rules are. And so we're sort of playing baseball on a football field, a football on a baseball field, and it's screwing a lot of people up. So I guess I'd call it personal development, self-help, success. Got it. All right. So self-help, personal development, motivational success. Uh, if you go to Amazon and you search for those, those criteria, you're going to find 10,000 books. Why did the world need Keenan's take on this? Great question. Because most of the people in this, look, I am not a self-help guru. I am not Anthony Robbins. I am not Brian Tracy. I'm not, I'm not these people, right? But what I realized is all the things that they talk about, working hard, positive frame of mind, you know, being focused on the right things, none of that changed. I didn't touch any of that. What I touched was, touched was where we should be focused with all of that stuff. I mean, I briefly talk about it in the, in the book. I say, look, the traditional things of busting your butt, being the best, having a positive attitude, crushing it, all that hasn't changed. But it's where you focus the time. It's what you focus that effort on that's changed. And that's why I wrote the book. I want people to realize they need to be taking what they're doing and putting it in a different area, different space. It wasn't available to them a long time ago or they're not thinking they should be doing today. All right. Well, you just said this is a book about focus and we should be focused on the right things. I'm going to tell you, and I think you'd agree, that most people out there listening, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes me included, we suck at focus. Why are we so bad at focusing on the right priorities? There's a million Kenans out there who are sharing with this knowledge and, and mind share and experience. And here's how I cracked the code. Here's how I did this. Here's how I succeeded here. But yet we still suck at it. Why, why do we have to continue to write books like this? Why are we so bad at focus? Well, you know, that's, that's, I don't think you're going to like my answer. So everybody listening, you're probably going to be unhappy with this answer. And, and I think it's a better way to answer the question you asked before. I don't know why people suck at focusing. And I think that's why the Anthony Robbins of the world make hundreds of millions of dollars to help people focus better. So I think if you, if you listen to Anthony Robbins or these other motivational types, listen to them, do everything they say, and then buy my book and take everything they say, tell you to do to focus and focus it on the stuff in my book, right? So it's funny. It's a great point. I, I can't get people to motivate themselves. And this book isn't about that. I can't get people to stay focused. And this book's not about this. If someone has a genuine desire, if they have a burning passion, if they want to be successful, if they're out there hustling right now, here's a great example. Todd, if they're out there hustling right now, doing what they've always done or doing what their parents told them or, or doing what they thought they needed to do, this book is perfect for you because you're going to take all that hustle and you're like, oh my God, why have I wasted it over here when I need to put it over here? So this is a hustler's guide to being good at hustling. This is not a, oh, I have a hard time focusing and I don't know what I want to do and I don't know, I don't know if this book's going to help you because you won't get up and do the stuff that I tell you to do in the first place. Well, what's the, what do you say to the person who says, all right, Keenan, I'm busting my butt. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm working my tail off, but I'm not achieving success. How do you, how do you help that person? What do you say to that person who's, who's, who's demonstrating a work ethic and a passion to be successful, but they're not getting there? Is it, is it because of lack of focus on the right priorities? I mean, I think that's what not is about is here are the things yes. that you have got to really focus on. Yeah, we can teach you yes. how to focus, but chances are you're focusing, but you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on what society yes. is 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 taught you over the over the years to focus on, which isn't really what you're supposed to be focusing on, right? Isn't that the problem? That's exactly the problem. It's it's 
what you described, it's, it's very applicable from that perspective. So let's say someone's out there and they're hustling and they're busting their butt at work and, and they're really working hard, but they're not getting ahead. The first thing I would ask them is, how many people know you're really good at what you do? How many LinkedIn followers do you have? How many Twitter followers do you have? How much do you write or spend time sharing content, sharing your ideas? How much deliberate learning do you do? When's the last time you taught yourself something really good? And the answers will always be, well, I've done none of that. I'm too busy working. And what, and what, what that phrase tells me and the whole sort of foundation of premise of this book is he's still working in the industrial age mentality. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. That's where his head is. So that's where her head is. They're doing the industrial age mentality. And we have moved into the information age. And so when you move from ages, like people ask, well, why does that matter? Well, think about this. When you move from ages or eras, that is a fundamental shift in how society works. An analogy, not even an analogy, an example I like to use is, think about the before the industrial age, what did we have? We had the agrarian society. Would you agree with that? Yep. Okay. So when people left the farms and we moved from the agrarian society to the industrial age, what was the number one shift in that, in that switch that people who were successful in the industrial age grabbed onto that was not important in the, in, in the agrarian society? Tell me. Education. Yep, yep. Right? You didn't need to be educated to be a farmer. You had to work your ass off. You had to be willing to get up early. Look, those farmers who had a little more education did a little better. But generally speaking, education was not the foundation of being successful in the agrarian society, was it? No. But if you wanted to be successful in from like turning of the, I don't know, eight, late 1800s, early 1900s, and you recognized this shift in the into the industrial age, you couldn't just move into a city and think, I'm just going to work my butt off and not be able to read or write or anything like that and think you were going to be successful, were you? No. So, so that's, why the, that's why enrollment in universities just climbed and climbed and climbed all through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's because education is how you became successful in the industrial age. Well, now we're moving into the information age and everybody's still trying to do the same shit they were doing in the industrial age and it doesn't work. Or it doesn't work as well. You're not going to be. You're not going to be able to blow up. You'll be able to hang on, but you'll never be able to blow up. Part of what we're going to talk about is that you need to be. You need to be creating some of the information out there now in the information age. We'll get into that in a second. So, uh, again, the book is not taught what it takes to be successful in the 21st century that nobody's teaching you. And so let's go through this. I, it was a really cool read, Keenan. I, I, I sat down with a glass of wine and spent a Sunday afternoon diving into this thing. And as I said at the top of the show. I thought, ah, I know everything that he's going to talk about. And, and no, it was one of those forehead smack opportunities where I said, ah, yeah, I need to rethink that. I need to refocus on that. And that's it's all good stuff. That's that's the point of it. So let's go through some of the what I thought were some of the key lessons from from the book and, and some of the things that, that I thought were really thought-provoking and, and what I think most people out there are not focusing on, not thinking about. And it's this idea, I mean, you talk about brand you, right? It's no, it's not okay to be anonymous anymore. Even if you're a small, but a small member of a large enterprise organization, you have to have your own brand. Talk about that a bit. Yes. Great. So you, people have to associate you with something, right? I think I say in the book somewhere that if something doesn't have a brand, it sits on the shelf for a really long time, mm-hmm. right? People... People have to know who you are, what makes you good, why you're good, and the value you bring to an organization. Why do I care? Why should I hire Todd? Why should I hire 
April? Why should I hire Max, right? Why should I invest in them? And this is something that I think a lot of people aren't really understanding. When a company hires you, look, they're investing in you. And so when they go through an interview, it's almost like they're searching for a, a startup. Is it worth investing this $80,000 a year in this person to get back what I need to get back? And if you don't have a solid brand that is built around why you're great, what makes you special, what you deliver in terms of value to the people that you come in contact with, in this day and age, you're not going to move anywhere. You can't just say, oh, I got 25 years experience. That's why you should hire me. I could give a shit about your 25 years experience. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about expertise versus experience uh, later in the show. That's this idea, though. Well, my organization will take care of all the branding. They'll take care of the positioning. They'll take care of this. They'll take care of that. No, even though if you're a small cog in a large wheel, you still have to get out there and build your own identity, right? Because that's the only way you're going to succeed in this modern world, yet. Right? Yes. So now you just added the other piece to brand that I didn't touch, and that's perfect. Good lead, good segue. <laughs> it's not enough just to have a brand. You have to promote that brand. Right. So you just said, oh, my company will take care of that company. Take care of what your company can't take care of your brand. Like what what, what's your company going to do for you? If you're an accountant and you're sitting in the accounting department, you think the company's somehow going to promote, you know, Michael, the phenomenal accountant. Sorry, doesn't work that way. Look, here's here's what's changed in the industrial age. There was a lack of information. Let me step back. Let me help everybody who's listening. Guys, the biggest change from the industrial age to the information age is, as it suggests, the availability of information. And that cannot be underestimated. Back in the industrial age, there was no way for somebody to look you up. So why do we have resumes? Because it was the only way an employer could figure out who the hell you were. That was the only way. And maybe a word of mouth. Oh, Todd's phenomenal. You should meet him. Okay, great. Send me his resume. I want to know who he is. Now, people have so much information available to them to know who you are between LinkedIn, between Google searches, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. I mean, you just keep going. It's too easy to find out about people. So if you don't have a brand and you're just this leaf in the wind and someone does a search on you and they don't see anything like they like, you're done. Toast. So you have to be deliberate now. You have to be very deliberate in building this identity around value. And so now back to the idea, I'm Tom in account, I'm accounting, I'm Tom, I'm a great accountant. I better figure out how I can brand myself as a phenomenal accountant who gets, who, who saves organizations money on taxes, who is extremely um, accurate and doesn't make mistakes. I mean, I'm not an accountant. I know what the best value proposition for an accountant is, but you better build one. Maybe you're more knowledgeable and gap than most people and you leverage that knowledge and gap to provide benefits to your organization. I don't know. But you better have one. And as I say in my book, right, if you want to be successful in today's world, you need to create brand new and promote the shit out of it. Absolutely. All right. Keenan and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international bestselling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? 
Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, I am back with Kenan, the author of a new book, Not Taught, What It Takes to Be Successful in the 21st Century That Nobody's Teaching You. All right, so Kenan, let's talk about change. Most people suck at change. They're scared of it. They're afraid of it. They avoid it like the plague. And I think there are a few enlightened people out there that have recognized that change is actually a good thing, that in fact, it's the new normal. We are in an environment of constant change. And until you accept that, you are way behind. But I think Keenan takes it one step further, right? You're saying, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, dummy, you better accept change because if you don't, you're, you, you, you lose. What you're saying is, no, to succeed in the modern world, you have to create change, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this until you tell me to stop because I think this is the key to the book that, that I, as a writer, you know, it's all inside you so you kind of forget where you, know, you, you want to get. So I'm going to stick to this, this industrial age, information age is the baseline. During the industrial age, things move so slowly that change was scary, right? The idea was like, look, just keep doing what you're doing. We'll change iteratively. Don't screw up, right? Because if you screwed up, it could be hard to come back from, right? And there was nobody really pulling ahead of you. I mean, one of the things I talk about in the book, and I'm probably going to butcher these stats, but in the 60s or the 50s, the average time on the Standard & Poor's um, 500 was 65 years. In the 80s, it was 30-something or 40s. In the, in the 2000s, 25 years. Think about this. Mm. Companies are coming and going so fast that they don't even stand in post 500 for more than 25 years. Look at one of my greatest examples is look at BlackBerry. BlackBerry showed up on the scene in 2000. They grew to being the number one cell phone provider, manufacturer, to something like god-awful 10, 20, 40 billion, 100 billion dollar market cap. To nothing in 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> Think about how fast that change is, right? So, what the, again, what the information age has done is it's sped up the rate of change. So, why does it matter? In the book, I talk about change resistors, change acceptors, and change creators. Change resistors, they're gone. If you're one of those people like, oh, I don't want to, they're out, get out. Change acceptors, you'll be tolerated, but you will not be successful. The world is desperate for change creators because they allow us to compete. They bring the ideas, the innovation, the process changes to the table that keep us ahead of the curve, that don't let us be the next BlackBerry, right? The, or RIM. They don't let us be that. And companies are desperate. I talked about a CEO study done by IBM too long ago. That that's one of the things CEOs are desperate for is people that can innovate, that can change, that can handle the speed of change these days. And unfortunately, most people don't get that. Their whole internal clock is don't change. Don't be the leader of change. And if you want to be successful in the 21st century, you had better fix that and figure out how you can be a change creator, how you can initiate change for the better of your organization. Well, just think about anyone who, uh, just let's put it in the business context, think of, of a CEO of an organization that, that, you, that you've read books about, that have had movies and films made about them. These are the high. These are the big dogs. The Steve Jobs, the Elon Musk's, those kinds of people. They're not sitting around resisting change. They're 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 absolutely forcing it. 
and and, and yes. why why knowing that you, you're not an idiot if, if I mean you, how, how can you how can you observe that in, in culture and in business culture and life culture and say and still be resistant to it it's a, it's a critical critically important lesson to me it was the most important part of this book was was forehead smacking me to say ah yeah you know you're you're ahead of the game schnick because you accept change but no you've got to continue to push you have to continue to force change and create change because that's 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 who gets films made about them, right? Yes, I love how you do that. That's who you know films are made about them. Look, this book is about being successful. If you just want to coast, accept be a change acceptor, not a change resistor because you're done, but don't be a change creator. But if you literally want to be successful, that's what this book is about. For those people who want to be successful, want to get to the next level, you have to be a change creator. And it doesn't mean you have to be the next Steve Jobs and, and create you know, the iPhone, but be the person in your company that drives change, right? Because look, what is what do change creators do, right? Change creators deliver more value, right? They are where the innovation is. They're the ones solving the problems because isn't that what change does? It solves problems, right? Change people create competitive advantages. They create new markets, new processes. People who, who are change creators solve problems creatively. And that's what business in basically our whole world is about is can I solve a problem instead of waiting for someone else to pro- solve it and then get behind them. Another, so yeah, you nailed it. another important part of the book, Keenan, is this conversation about thinking. Now, if you sit down 10 people, line them up in a chair and say, do you spend time each day thinking? I think most people would say, well, of course I do. What do you think? I, I think all time, all, all day long. You and I both know that that's absolutely not the case. They're, they're conscious. <laughs> they're, just, they're just there. They're not doing the kind of deep thinking, the reflecting on life and experience and doing something actionable and meaningful with it. Right? We're, not, we're not doing near enough thinking in our lives, right? Yep. Yep. No, we're not. And look, this is a tough one. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters. And for it's you're probably gonna laugh as a guy who wrote a book. It's hard to believe I'm about to say this, but I didn't. I don't know that I gave it justice. I really don't know that I know how to describe in depth in writing what this chapter is truly about. So I did my best, and I'm glad you liked it because that means I, I have succeeded. But here's the point, people: most of you just don't think. Yeah, you think to get here. Let me create the analogy of voluntary versus involuntary muscles, right? My eye blinks all the time involuntary. So my muscle's blinking. I'm moving, but I'm not conscious of that. I'm not making that happen. And most of the stuff we do, even if it's voluntary movement, it's still so on autopilot, like walking. I know that I'm I'm, it's not involuntary, but it's so ingrained in me, I don't think about it. That's how most of us do thinking. We just do what we've always done, and we just accept what's put in front of us. And I'll tell a quick story. I was hiring, looking, we're hiring right now, and I was looking to hire a woman. And long and the short of it is, she didn't follow the instructions of the job description. And in the interview, I said to her, I said, hey, just curiosity, why didn't you follow the instructions in the job description? I go, did you see them? She goes, yes, I saw it. And I said, why didn't you do that? And she's paused for a minute, and she goes, well, I don't know. I guess it's just what I've always done, is, is just sent in a resume, because we tell them not to send in a resume. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Is she didn't think. She didn't stop for a second and say, hmm, I wonder why these people said don't send in a resume. I wonder what it is about a resume they don't like. I wonder how I can use that to increase my chances of demonstrating that I'm really, really good recruiter. I wonder if there's another way for me to leverage this unique request of theirs to put me at the top of the list 
of the type of person they're hiring, right? First thing, don't send a resume. Isn't, isn't black ink on white paper or isn't something on the computer screen? Clearly, there's something behind that, right? Would you agree, Todd? Absolutely. So a thinker, a thinker says to themselves, huh, I wonder why they're doing that. And they start thinking through that process. And by thinking through that and coming to their deductive, coming to some sort of deductions, they position themselves better to win that job. But I can tell you right now, we did the math, less than 16% of the hundreds of applications we've gotten have actually followed the instructions. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I'm not saying that thinking, the, the deep thinking, the deep reflective thinking that you and I are talking about, it isn't easy. That's the whole point. That's what makes you successful. And again, to use the, the silly example earlier of the people they're making films about, those are the people that are sitting down doing deep thinking. And, and it's long-term thinking. They're not saying, what do I do tomorrow? They're saying, what do I do in 25 years? How is the world going to be? I guess the folks at RIM and BlackBerry, they weren't thinking long-term along those lines, to use your example. So I'm not no, saying that this is easy. And whilst most of us think that we're thinking deeply, we're really not. And that's and that's the that was a, an eye opening moment for me in reading this book to say, ah, okay, don't take this for granted. Don't just follow routine because you're not thinking when you're. It maybe you're doing an expense report, but you're not thinking. You know. So all right, well, that was an important lesson. So another thing I want to talk about from the book that I thought was was really important to talk about was this idea of expertise versus experience. And there's a lot of people who say, oh, well, I've got, I've got 25 years of experience. And, and there's a lot of cases where Keenan would say, yeah, I could give a hoot about that experience. Talk to me why. Because I'm going to use a quote directly from the book because it's my favorite way of explaining it. So for those of you who have 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30, 40 years experience, this applies to you. Because once you get past that 10-year mark, people begin to wear their experience like a badge of honor. So listen really, really carefully, people. Some people, quote, some people have 10 plus years experience, yet only two years of expertise, while others have just two years of experience and 10 years of expertise. The key is to have your expertise outpace your experience. Here's the point with that. Experience is nothing more than the amount of time you spent somewhere. It does, it does not correlate to your ability to do the job. If you are someone who doesn't embrace change and you're not a thinker and you've been doing a job for 25 years just good enough to get by, you suck. <laughs> and I can find someone with seven years experience and just as much expertise as you and do much better. So rather than focusing on this this shallow, hollow word called experience that is nothing more than a measurement of time, we should be focusing on expertise. It puts us in the driver's seat. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, expertise. I can't make experience go any faster, can I, Todd? No, you I cannot. Can't. No. But I certainly can accelerate my acquisition of expertise, which is driven by knowledge, awareness, causal knowledge, contextual information. I can do that. And I can do something for one year and be as good as, or as knowledgeable or as, as an expert as someone who's been doing it for five years. I can accelerate that. And if you want to be successful in the 21st century with all the information that's out there, when you can Google freaking anything, there is no reason on the planet that your expertise should not outpace your experience. I have nothing to add to that conversation, I think, Keenan said it all. I want to close on one final important subject, Keenan, and that is uh, 
the question of why should you get happy? Why does that matter? So, you know, it's funny. When I wrote that chapter, I just, I wrote it. I know we're running out of time, so I'm bored with the whole backstory. But I wrote it because I just, I'm a happy guy and I just know how much fun I have. And I wanted the people I first shared this with to just, it's as intense as I can get and as tense as the world can get. If you can just take a deep breather and be happy, life will be good. Well, as I was doing research for the book, what I realized is a gentleman by the name of Martin Seligman had done some research on this. And what he found is that happiness begets success. Success does not beget happiness. And his studies show that people who are optimistic about life, who were very optimistic about where they were in life and were very happy and fulfilled, were far more successful than people who were successful trying to be happy. It was a, it, success was predicated on being happy, not the other way around. Why do we feel like it's not okay to be optimistic and happy in our work? Why, how have we allowed that to happen? I mean, most people that are listening to this are probably an employee of a larger, of a larger small organization. And, and chances are you dread Sunday night and you, you don't want to wake up Monday because you have to go to work. How, how, how have we allowed that to happen? Why, why, how, how, why are we accepting this? Because we've put ourselves in positions. We don't, it's, it's, you know what's funny? It's not like a light switch where we turn it on and one day we're living the life we want and the next we're living a shitty life. What it is is we make little tiny micro decisions that add up over time in an effort to try to create some panacea or some nirvana. I had a, I'll, I'll never forget when I was like, I don't know, 25, we'll go with that, 26, 27. I had a buddy from high school, one of my best friends from years, and he was, he was, he ran his own, but he was an independent electrician. He ran his own company. His dad had run it for years, and he, there was just the two of them, and they just went out and they just did their own little electrical business. And he was saying, he was thinking about taking a job with this other company. I said, why would you do that? It's just you and your dad. You're your own person. You can do whatever you want. He said, yeah, but they got really good benefits. Mm-hmm. They got a really good pay. And they got this. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that was because well, I'm getting married and I kind of need this and I kind of need that. And so rather than figure, back to thinking, rather than figuring out a way how he could take this business that, that his dad had built and raised him and his sister and took him on vacations and bought him an RX-7 when he was in high school, rather than figuring out how to do that, he opted to the gift. Yep. Oh, benefits, guaranteed pay. So it sounds good then, but then he gets in it and what does he do? He buys a bigger house and, and he has more kids and he goes on vacations. And so now... He starts building this thing. He can't, he can't extract himself, right? Yeah. Now, we, we can't extract ourselves. So I think what happens is we make micro decisions on, on things that serve us well, that don't require us to do a lot of work, and they add up over time. And next thing we know, we can't unplug. Yep, yep. Well, it's most of the micro decisions that most people in, in modern business make are, is really a, a death by a thousand cuts, right? I mean, because we're making, we're making small micro decisions that are not advancing an exciting, satisfying entrepreneurial lifestyle where, where we can achieve the kind of success that we dream about that, again, to use, to continue to use my goofy analogy that we're end up people making films about you, you know? So, all right. So I guess Keenan and I have, we do have one final, final question. How in the hell did you bribe Chris Brogan to write the foreword of this book? Oh, this is great. This is so <laughs> awesome. It's the best way to end this. So I, I'm assuming all you are, do you want to tell me who Chris Brogan is? What? It has a bigger boom. Oh, uh, Mr. Brogan's been on this show like four times, so my audience is very familiar with, with, with Chris. Beautiful. So it's the same way that you've got him on your show. 
look, and it's everything I talk about in this book. Chris wrote this because for, I don't know, five years, I have been writing about sales. I have built um, a huge, huge, I've built a good following. I've built a following to engage people like you, Todd. I said, I want you on my show. Um, I shared people's stuff. I've done my best to promote other people. I've done my best to teach other people. So when I was looking for a, um, uh, someone to write forward, I talked to our common friend, Anthony Iannarino, and I said, who should write it? And he said, Chris. And I was like, that's a great idea. And he had introduced me to Chris about six months earlier. Chris and I had some phone conversations. I had shared his stuff. He had shared mine. And a, a relationship was built on that. And so when it came time to ask for something, he was like, it would be my pleasure, Keenan. So it, 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 I used everything in the book that got me access to somebody with you know 300,000 Twitter followers who's known for doing amazing things, who's written three great books himself. It was natural, and he's a great guy. That helps. It sure <laughs> yeah. does. It's amazing how when you actually follow these rules, uh, how, how it impacts things. So, well, Kanan, uh, as I suspected, energy-packed, high-passion uh, conversation here. You and I, frankly, we could talk for another four hours on. Uh, there's there's subjects that, that are critically important that I, we couldn't even touch on. Might just have to have you back to continue that dialogue. But for now, we're out of time. Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions to learn about the work of a sales guy, Inc., and where can they get their hands on a copy of Not Taught? Yes, you can get Not Taught on Amazon right now. You can go to nottaught.com as well if you want to learn a little more about it. And if you just run a Google search under Jim Keenan or a sales guy, it's all there. And if you want to hit me up directly, Keenan, my last name, at a sales guy, it'll be my pleasure to answer any questions or engage. It would be my pleasure. Jim Keenan, president and founder of A Sales Guy, Inc., and the author of a new book, Not Taught, What It Takes to Be Successful in the 21st Century That Nobody's Teaching You. Keenan, my friend, a pleasure to have you. Thanks for stopping by. It was all mine, baby. It was all mine. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation. Again, on behalf of my guest, Jim Keenan, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. 